The Holy Gospel according to Matthew, the third chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. And when Jesus had been baptized, just as he came up from the water, suddenly the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And the voice from heaven said, This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Please be seated. Dear friends, grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. These words from the great beyond in the final verse of our gospel passage, they are likely well known to us. But do they mean the same to us in our baptism that they did for Jesus at his? I'd have to check with my parents and sponsors from my baptism since I was only one month old, but I'm pretty sure that such words weren't uttered from above at my baptism. My head isn't that big, my ego isn't that inflated, in case some of you are wondering. Sure, there were words included in the baptismal liturgy about being claimed by God. Promises were made for love and life eternal. But nothing from on high in the form of a dove or anything else for that matter alighted on me that anybody could see. I wasn't referred to as an heir of God. But our own baptism is about God's claiming of us, even if we aren't directly tied to God as Jesus was as his son. At least that's what I've always been taught. And it certainly seems that Jesus' baptism was about God claiming him and setting him apart for a special mission in this world. Whether it was Jesus' baptism or our own, this holy sacrament wasn't set forth by God as a way of us recognizing ourselves as better than those who aren't. Baptism is rather about, like everything else in God's kingdom, seeking justice. Not justice in a judgmental or divisive sense of the word, but the kind of justice that brings life above all else. Baptism is a holy marker, yes, but it is a holy vocation as well, a holy calling to action to the work of God in this world. It beckons us forth to live more into the stuff of what makes our relationship with God 
so close, so tight-knit. It calls us to live more in the way of Jesus, the way of mercy, the way of love, the way of peace. It's time for another installment of True Confessions of a Pastor. The largest extent to which I was a graffiti artist growing up was to draw symbols on the margins of my homework and maybe a textbook or two. And it's not as though I was a troublemaker or somebody who wanted to push an agenda really was done out of boredom like it is for the majority of children in school at times. But the symbol I loved to draw the most, that I would doodle the most in the margins of my homework or maybe on a textbook or two was the symbol for peace. And no, I wasn't born in the 60s or 70s. I wasn't a flower child that wanted to just spread that symbol around everywhere I went. But the idea of peace was perhaps at the core of who I was as a lifelong Christian, baptized at one month old, as you heard me say. By society's broad definition, peace is simply the lack of conflict. Peace is stillness and quiet, love and harmony between all peoples. And while those are wonderful images for our world from the standpoint of God's children, peace is all about reconciliation. This is the truth that we hear in abundance in our readings today. Isaiah prophesies of the one who will bring justice, a more earthly understanding of reconciliation. Justice and reconciliation that gives sight to the blind, freeing the prisoner from the dungeon, and especially those in the prison of darkness from sin. This is peace, when all that is wrong about the world is made right. Even the psalmist cries for this peace in the last verse we heard today. O Lord, give strength to your people. Give them, O Lord, the blessings of peace. Very often we need strength to overcome our own stubborn attitudes, our own feelings of resentment, to be reconciled to those who have wronged us. When we can have the strength to do this, then we are one step closer to this peace. We have no reason to be stubborn, to not forgive, because our God wasn't stubborn. God didn't resent us every time we wronged our Maker through our sin. God doesn't bat any divine eyelashes before shaking off all that we've done to disappoint God. Because God has already reconciled all of that for us through Jesus. This is the promise, rather the committed relationship that we enter into and that we remember at our baptism. The same commitment to God's promise that Jesus entered into that day at his baptism by John of the Jordan River. 
For many readers of this passage from Matthew, red flags might arise when they consider why on earth Jesus would need to be baptized if he is the Son of God. This is difficult for us to read in this story about Jesus' baptism and not to reflect on our own, but it is important to consider the meaning of Jesus' baptism as set apart from our own. Because while our baptism was about becoming a part of God's family, it is also an act that reminds us of the constant need for reconciliation we have for God through Jesus as a price for our sin. And we can't think of what or why Jesus would need to be reconciled to God, because he didn't. Popular scholarship on this event teaches us that Jesus' baptism, as much as John's call for baptisms, was about repentance, turning away from evil deeds. It was more about showing your commitment to God. And Jesus wanted to, in a culturally recognizable way, affirm his commitment to God for that which he had been sent into the world. And God responds to that commitment with the Holy Spirit's presence in the form, in the divine form of a dove descending from heaven. Even John, a very devout man of God, is a bit skeptical why Jesus would come to him for baptism. But Jesus' response in every way confirms that this must be done, not for the reasons it's done by everyone else, but because it's done for everyone else. John's baptizing activity provides the occasion in which Jesus expresses this commitment and confirmation of his identity. He is the Messiah, the saving one. And as Christians, we aren't called to the same commitment and identity through our baptism. This has already been done and only needed to be done by God through Jesus. It is our divine purpose through our own baptism to rather witness to the world what it means to be in relationship with God. To witness to the identity of Jesus as Messiah, the Savior, the Reconciler, the true bringer of peace. The writer of Luke's Gospel and the book of Acts focused a lot on Christ as the agent of God's peace, God's reconciliation with the world. This is where we find our connection through our sacrament of baptism and the baptism of Jesus, when we show our commitment to God, not because we have to, but because we can by bringing peace into this world. We are to be the agents of peace, the messengers of peace. Because everything about what Jesus came and did it didn't seem to be about peace. He himself even said he didn't come to bring peace, but to bring division, because he knew his message of love and mercy in all circumstances would be controversial. He left it up to us, his disciples, his followers, to help the world understand how we can get from a place of division, of conflict, to a place of reconciliation, to a place of true and everlasting peace. 
That's why the story of Peter and Cornelius in this reading from Acts is so appropriate. Because it is two traditionally and historically conflicted peoples coming together as an act of reconciliation through a shared commitment to the message of Jesus. Peace for all. Reconciliation for all from God through Jesus. And Peter, with his faithful following of Jesus in tow, has begun to see a new reality of God's grace and justice, simply because he entered the life and space of a stranger, Cornelius, a Gentile, an outsider to the faith, and frankly, an enemy. Because Cornelius was a Roman soldier, a part of an empire that was threatened by the very spread of Christianity and did everything in its power to squelch it. But Jesus encountered the same division in his ministry, but worked through it toward peace, through us. When we do as Peter did, enter the world of the stranger, the outsider, and even our enemies, we do as Jesus did. And through this, we get a glimpse of the extent of the peace of God's kingdom that is coming to this world. This understanding of peace brings up many memories of my own parents' role in raising myself and my six siblings growing up. Even though it was their hope that there would never be conflict between us, they knew it was a fleeting hope. So they did their best to work toward peace, but not by preventing conflict, but rather by giving us the tools we needed to restore, to reconcile our relationships when we'd wronged one another. Peace in this world, true peace, is about more than simply being nice and staying quiet. Peace means engaging in the struggle against evil, against oppression, against domination, even though they say it takes two equal parties to reach peace. Peace looks like a Jewish fisherman in Peter entering the home of a Roman elite in Cornelius, trusting that healing, that restoration, that peace was possible. We aren't called to save anyone, to be a Messiah. But we are called through our own baptism to witness to the identity of Jesus as the saving one. Just as John did in Christ's baptism, so did Peter by entering the home of a centurion. And so did that Roman by letting Peter enter his home to begin with, and opening his ear to hear his message. Of peace. With Epiphany just upon us, may we remember the message of peace that lights the world ten times over. The life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus, the everlasting Prince of Peace. Amen.